My name is Brandon Berger. I'm one of the uh, third year emergency medicine residents. Uh, here today, talk journal club. Uh, we're going to talk about a recent paper from the journal Resuscitation. This is diagnostic test accuracy of the initial electrocardiogram after resuscitation from cardiac arrest to indicate invasive coronary angiographic findings and attempted revascularization. A systematic review and meta analysis. This is by McFadden et al. Uh, from 2021. So uh, this is in a theme of papers this month on EKGs and cardiology um, and emerging practices uh, regarding this test. Probably the most, the single most common cardiologic test that we order as emergency physicians. So specifically, this paper, this is a diagnostic test accuracy systematic review on the post-ROSC EKG for coronary lesions amenable to emergency revascularization in adult subjects with ROSC following cardiac arrest in any setting with any rhythm. The methods here, well described, but somewhat complex. So bear with me, I'm going to try to do a plain English version of how this paper was done. So this is a meta-analysis. The authors appropriately engage a, res uh, a reference librarian. The reference librarian finds every paper that they possibly can using a wide search criteria that includes patients, EKGs, and then coronary angiographic findings after ROSC. Using a predetermined set of criteria, they go through all of the papers, exclude some of them after simply reading summary and title based on essentially uh, consensus between the authors, and then ultimately wind up winnowing this down to a smaller number of papers that they, that they review with full text review. This is all done in a, an incredibly systematic way using kind of best practices. They have pre-registered the trial with Prospero. They are using the PRISMA statement, the preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta-analyses. And then when they actually go through these papers, they're using a tool called the Quadus 2, which is a tool that is qualitative, but not quantitative, but it, it has a systematic way to review papers for bias. And what they find is that honestly, the majority of papers, even that had made it through this initial, um, th their initial screening tests, actually have a significant amount of bias. A lot of the bias that they find is because uh, it's bias in who gets from EKG to coronary angiography. And so they wind up actually eliminating the vast majority of papers and wind up with just 10 papers that they wind up including in their kind of primary analysis. These are papers that, importantly, take any patient with, uh, with arrest that does not have an obvious non-cardiac cause, and then they ultimately get angiography. Um, from there, um, they do, a, do some more statistical, uh, there, there are some, some more statistical steps where they have to assess for heterogeneity uh, in the results, statistical heterogeneity in particular, noting whether the actual results that uh, are reported by these multiple trials seem similar. They are not. There is a fair amount of heterogeneity, and that requires some other uh, specific, statistical, specific statistical steps, uh, including measuring the actual heterogeneity and then ultimately using a random effects meta-analysis, which helps to account for some of these issues in heterogeneity. From there, 
they are able to um, derive receiver operating curves, and we're kind of finally back to test characteristics that we're comfortable with. This is how you're. This is how they're deriving their summary summary um, operating points, which include your uh, your specificity and your sensitivity. And then from those, they are able to then uh, give grade requ- grade recommendations. Grade is, is a pretty familiar method of discussing um, how strong evidence is and what the recommendation is. It's uh, a format that we're familiar with from Cochrane reviews, from um, federal bodies when they um, give recommendations on on specific interventions. Things like uh, strong uh, strong recommendation, low evidence. So, again, extremely well-described methods, though admittedly complex. Um, And I think that that's something that we we have to think about as we start deciding how do we interpret this this piece of work and how do we interpret it and and how do we uh, implement it in the way that we take care of patients. Moving on to the results. So they ultimately had to split their groups, actually those 10 papers, into two different groups. And that was because of the different ways in which the coronary angiography outcomes are reported. Some reported that there was an acute lesion and some reported revascularization. So they were able to do six studies um, that looked at acute coronary lesions. They found that ST segment elevation had a sensitivity of about 0.70 and a specificity of 0.85 in that in those cases with uh, relatively, with reasonable con- confidence inter- intervals. And then they were able to do four studies that looked at ST elevation and revascularization as the endpoint and found somewhat similar, although somewhat lower sensitivity and specificity, sensitivity of 0.53, specificity of 0.86. Um, notably, the thing that I take away from, from both of those is in both of these cases, ST elevation much more specific for finding a lesion or being able to revascularize than it is sensitive. Not necessarily the test characteristic that you want to find for a uh, a very dangerous diagnosis that you'd really like to be able to to exclude. Um, they did do some sub analyses, which I'll I'll just kind of quickly mention. They did look and look to see if shockable lesions versus non-shockable lesions had had much of a difference. ST elevation was not particularly sensitive in this group as all, uh, either. Um, ST elevation uh, and sorry, and for non and non-shockable lesions also not sensitive. 0.5 um, sensitivity um, in that group as well. So overall, the the trend of not of low sensitivity, um, somewhat higher specificity, but also not perfect specificity for this. The discussion that we that we had in our in our live journal club today was a lot about you know what does this tell us? So we we have this result that the that the post ROSC EKG is not uh, the findings of ST elevation or no ST elevation is not sensitive on the post ROSC EKG for eventually having intervention or um, or acute appearing coronary lesions, you know, does this change our management? Um, and ultimately, the answer most of us came to is, it, you know, it, it really doesn't necessarily. Um, and there's a and there's a couple reasons for that. Um, you know, one of them is that there is a lot of limitations, frankly, to the way that the, the study is done. The meta uh, the meta analysis and the review here really are. Uh, they're very clear about the, the limitations of 
the data is very has a lot of heterogeneity. The reporting standards are are very different between studies, um, and so it's very hard to know just how how good the the data is. There's a bit of a a concern that the the actual data that goes in is not very good. So how could the data coming out coming out be be very good? Um, this also really doesn't have a patient centered outcome. The outcome being the finding of a uh, being the finding of a lesion or revascularization doesn't really tell us about how the patient did necessarily. Um, and so we don't know whether this is beneficial to the patient from this particular, particular study. Um, and then there's, of course, a lot of methodological challenges to this kind of study as well. There's a bias that is very hard to account for in that it's very hard to blind the person performing coronary angiography to the EKG that uh, probably opened the cath lab. And so are we intervening or are these multiple trials that were reviewed intervening on lesions that are important or are they are intervening on lesions that seem consistent with the EKG, whether they were actually contributory to the arrest or not. Another point of discussion was about kind of where this trial falls on the hierarchy of evidence. We're taught that the hierarchy of evidence really is topped by meta-analyses, um, and that these can lie even above your well-done randomized clinical trials. But that really depends on what goes into the meta-analyses. And I would say that in this case, the strength of the, of the studies being reviewed doesn't warrant that the combination of them should create data that is actually stronger than a well-done randomized clinical trial. And in fact, there are some randomized clinical trials that exist in this realm that have already kind of started to dictate um, standard of care for some patients. And one, uh, and one trial in particular that I think has actually been discussed on, uh, in our journal club before, um, which is the, the COAX trial papers from Lemke's et al. from the Netherlands, um, which essentially showed no difference in patient outcomes for uh, patients who presented after an initial shockable rhythm who did not have ST elevation. There is no difference between delayed versus immediate catheterization. And that has obviously dictated a lot of the management from the ED into the ICU and where cardiac catheterization occurs for those, those patients and dictates our practice as we do it now. Um, but I will say that there are some strengths to this paper, even though it's not necessarily a practice-changing paper. This is a paper that's really speaking to an, a topic in emergency medicine, in ICU care, in critical care, um, and in cardiology that's really important and is probably has been changing the last couple of years, is in flux now, and will probably change in the next couple of years. And that is who exactly needs a catheterization and who and when exactly does it happen. The authors mention that there's multiple trials ongoing that are hopefully going to provide some uh, some more answers to this, even if they don't provide more answers to this specific question that they are asking. Um, and so I think knowing a little bit about what the background is um, in terms of how good the EKG may or may not be uh, at predicting findings on coronary angiography is actually a pretty important thing for us to know and to know that there is not a finding on our EKG that either rules in or rules out a lesion that will be amenable to revascularization or a lesion that appears acute. In summary, this is a systematic review and meta-analysis of the diagnostic test accuracy of the post-ROSC EKG to predict acute coronary lesion or revascularization 
upon coronary angiography in adults after cardiac arrest. In this study, ST elevation was found to be more specific than sensitive in terms of its test characteristics for all groups and subgroups. The study has some limitations, including heterogeneity and reporting of the previous cohorts that are included, as well as a relatively small number of studies that did not have evidence of significant bias. However, the study's methodology is very well described and follows established guidelines for this type of paper, though it is relatively complex. I would take away that the findings of relatively high specificity and lower sensitivity in all groups and subgroups should caution clinicians, both in the emergency department as well as ICU settings, against reliance on the post-ROSCI KG as a standalone test to determine need for coronary angiography. The ideal timing and the selection of these patients for coronary angiography requires both the clinical picture of the individual patient, but is going to be an area of active controversy as well as research coming up. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another Taming the Shrew podcast. We'll see you next time. Take care.